that's what coaches are for. At the end of the day, you know, when I think of great leadership and qualities that really translate into what great teams look like, because we had a, in my senior year, you know, we were top 10 in the nation. Like we were a great team. The difference is, is we had so much buy-in from the top down and I adjusted my mindset and so did many others to just leaning in to what the organization was trying to do and trusting the process. Like you hear that like term thrown around a lot and it sounds cliche, but it's, it works. You know, if you trust in the process and everybody buys into a mutual goal together, you're not on an island, you're all beating the same drum. That's when magic happens. Welcome to the Real Better Life podcast, where people that are writing stories worth telling share their knowledge, wisdom, and perspective to help you go further, faster as you move to your better life. Over to your hosts, Dave Ness and Rob Alkema. Hey, what's that sound? <laughs> it's time for another episode of the Real Better Bourbon Podcast. I'm sorry. It's the Real Better Life Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and we are in the studios in Thrive, Denver. We're super excited to be back engaged again. And we've got a guest on the podcast today. A, a very special guest. Which is awesome. So, <laughs> Yeah, we have none other than the Blue Stallion with us. <laughs> the Blue Stallion. is coming. Okay, so my first question is, Alex, would you please tell us how you got the nickname Blue Stallion? Yeah, it's a good one. It's a good one. It's a new whiskey. If you haven't heard of it, you should go look it up and buy it. It's real. I promise. I thought I was ordering uh, blue, what? Stranahan's. Stranahan's blue. That's what I thought. Stranahan's blue. Still stumbling through it. And that next thing you know, I'm ordering a blue stallion. So he literally they, they said, didn't have it. So I, I got Stranahan's. He but. literally said to the server, I'll take one of those blue stallions. <laughs> all look at him going, what are you talking I I about? Two. I'll take two blue stallions. Yeah, two, yeah, please. Give me two. Make it I two. I want two. I want a double. Yeah. And ever since then, he's been the blue stallion. Just wait. It's coming. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to so make good. a distillery and yeah, we're going to do it. <laughs> I love it. So <laughs> we are excited to have you on, not only because you're one of the, the new additions to Thrive and couldn't be more excited to have you as director of sales, but the topic for today's episode is an athlete's mindset and taking an athlete's mindset and applying it to success in business. We could probably even add success in life. Yeah, 100%. Right? And so... As people are still getting to know you at Thrive, a lot of them don't realize you were a pretty badass collegiate baseball player on the verge of going pro. And so we're going to talk about that today. And then we're going to talk about how some of the principles that we learn as athletes, we can take and apply those principles to help us be successful in business, personal relationships, life, et cetera. So before we dive into that, give us just a quick two to three minute background on Alex Stanford was born and then what happened? <laughs> <laughs> how much time do we? Minutes. Yeah, how much Go. time do we have? Uh, so no, it was a good intro, but yeah, brand new to Thrive. Born and raised in Seattle, Washington. Probably about thirty minutes from where I live now, so I've really branched out quite a bit. <laughs> Went to you know elementary, high school, locally. Played sports throughout you know pretty much since I was five. I got videos of you know my my parents have old videos of me you know lugging a big baseball bat around or football or basketball. I have two older brothers, and so. In my house, you had to be competitive in order to get anything in my house. So that was kind of instilled in me as a, as a young kid. You know, was, was fortunate and blessed with good athletic ability. And uh, I excelled in, you know, basketball and football and baseball, but I'm not the tallest. I'm not the biggest. I ended up being the best at baseball. It wasn't my favorite sport to play, but, you know, ended up being the best at it. Got the opportunity to play at Gonzaga uh, University goes eggs. We do have a baseball team. I promise. I know we're, we're good at basketball, but I, I promise we do. So yeah, I got a great opportunity to play D1 baseball at, at Gonzaga and loved every second of it. Even before I went to Gonzaga, I, as a kid, I used to have Gonzaga shorts, Gonzaga shirts, and never thought I was going to go to school there and let alone play, be able to play baseball there. But had some chances to play at some other schools, East Coast and you know, my dad was going through some health stuff at the time, so decided to stay local and loved every second of it. Thought I was going to play pro, had the big aspirations to go, you know, play Major League Baseball and didn't work out. The cards didn't fall the way that I had hoped. So translated that into getting into my career. It was a hard transition to go from being an athlete and playing sports and being super active to sitting at a desk every day, which is what I did. I got right into sales. I was always really competitive, didn't really know exactly what I wanted to do and 
kind of had an, always had a knack for building relationships and talking to people and learning quickly and being quick on my feet and, and adaptable. And a lot of those skills transferred pretty well into the sales world. And I jumped into real estate uh, tech sales at the time. So small company called Market Leader. We were selling lead generation through like IDX websites, force capture websites. So many of you listening probably know what I'm talking about. If I can, I still, yeah. want, I still want a refund on that. <laughs> I'm sure. You're not alone. You're not alone. Uh, very low converting uh, leads would come through that. But you know, we, we sold the dream. Um, and uh, you know, I was good at it. He was a charlatan for a yeah. living. <laughs> I was, yeah. <laughs> Don't know the reference, but I guess I'll, I'll find out later. That's, um, that's an old word for magician. There you go. There you Trickster. Go. But apparently the product was good enough to get purchased by Trulia after two years of me being there. So it wasn't all smoke and mirrors, promise. There was some good stuff in there. And so I transitioned over to, over to Trulia. Always had leadership in my mind. So as, as a kid growing up, I was team captains and you know, really tried to always lead by example. You know, I was a vocal leader on every team I played on and you know, wanted to do that in my career. Loved leading people and helping people achieve their goals. It was always a passion of mine. I worked my way up to leadership started leading a, a sales team, a team of sales executives at Trulia, which I loved at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, driving acquisitions and motivating and helping people hit their goals was awesome. And then this big, blue, hairy company came in, uh, our direct competitor <laughs> at the time <laughs> that we sold against, Zillow bought Trulia. So I remember the day it happened, 2015, I got a call. I was driving home from work, got a call from my boss and he's like, hey, you sitting down? And I was like, I'm, I'm in my car. So yeah, I'm sitting down. <laughs> and then he's like, well, I got some news. Was, uh, Zillow just bought us tomorrow. Unfortunately, you have to come in and you have to lay off the whole, your whole team. Mm. But you have a job if you want it. If you want to go work at Zillow, you, you have an opportunity to go do it. One of the hardest days of my career going through that. But you know, we, we, we navigated through it and I'm still close with a lot of those folks um, and moved over to Zillow. Was there for, for 10 years, worked on a ton of businesses and started in the premier agent business worked my way up to leadership, worked on our enterprise organization. So like larger broker, large distributors of, of leads kind of help us shape the flex organization yeah. when, when flex was coming around. And then this new thing that, you know, is live in Denver with driving the integrated trans- transaction was, you know, kind of one of my, my babies with a few others. And mm. we helped build out the flex organization and scaled it and launched it in other cities. You know, I'd been there 10 years and was just kind of ready for my next challenge and jumped over to the dark side to <laughs> see what it was like on, on this side. And now I'm at Thrive, been here for, for two months and we're off to the races. You know what's crazy? When you said that, I was like, two months? I just don't remember Thrive without you. <laughs> it's kind of weird. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like, it's, it, a, it's just such a natural. Yeah. I'll never forget you and I were talking just as a sad, uh, sad story, a side story. Excuse okay, me. I guess it was a sad one. <laughs> Freudian slip. Very, very side story. <laughs> I, was, I was driving over Berthoud Pass on my way to Grand Lake. And I called just to say, hey, what's going on? I can't believe it. Like you've been at Zillow for so long. I don't, I don't even know Zillow without you. And you said the same thing. You were like, you know, it's been a decade. I've made a huge impact and kind of want to, you know, see if I can put myself into something else and, and change the change the world somewhere else. And I'm such an idiot that I was like, <laughs> oh, that's so cool, man. That, congratulations, you know, da-da-da. And <laughs> it was like a 20-minute conversation. And at the very end, I was like, what am I doing? <laughs> like, Alex Stanford is leaving Zillow. Like, hey, uh, any chance we should talk at some point? <laughs> and, you know, graciously, you were like, yeah, I, I actually think we should. And right there, I think that was the the connection. Yeah. And I'll never forget it because right then, the call dropped. <laughs> it did. Because going over birth and pass sucks. It did. There's no cell signal. I'm like, yeah. So I'd call you back and then we, you know, we talked for, you know, what, another four weeks or something like yeah. that and kind of courted each other more or less. Yep. And, uh, and here we sit. But man, hell of a ride over the last two yeah. months. It's like, it's such a, just a natural, powerful, further, faster story. Yeah. It's yep. Amazing. Well, it's cool because, you know, we've known each other for a couple of years yeah. before through the Zillow relationship. So I knew all the qualities and the companies and the places that I wanted to be at. You know, when I really sat down and thought about it, it was, you know, Thrive kind of had a lot of the things that I was looking for in my next opportunity. So mm. the timing and the way things work, you know, things are just kind of meant to be sometimes. And that's just how things shook out. So it does feel like it's been longer. In a good way. Yeah, in a good way. But, you know, we still got a lot of work to do, so. Yeah, totally. So take us back to, you were talking about, you're playing baseball collegiately. It was the sport you were best at. It's funny, I saw you making a note. 
the same time as the sports you were the best at, but it wasn't necessarily your favorite sport. Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. It made me think of that episode we did on, you know, what if I'm not passionate about real estate, but this is what I'm doing for, oh, yeah. for work. Yeah, of right? course. So you said something really interesting right after that. You said, I thought I was going to go pro, but then I figured out it wasn't in the cards. That's a hard moment for any athlete when you realize like I'm, I've taken this as far as I can take it or as far as I'm willing to take it. Mm-hmm. Because typically that sport has been such a big part of your life that it's hard moving on from that. It just feels like this void where you're, you're missing a lot of those things. You're missing a lot of the, the relationships. It's a very special kind of relationship you have with your teammates and your coaches. You know, there's, there's a bond that you share that's hard to recreate. Mm. Typically, it's hard to find something to compete at at the same level yeah. that you do, right? Saying this, haven't played a couple of years of, of college soccer, and I don't think I was as good of a soccer player as you are a baseball player, but like I hey, said. don't cut yourself short. You were, you were I, probably pretty good. Well, I am much taller than you. You are. Thank you very much. <laughs> fact. Um, nobody, but, nobody listening. That, <laughs> <laughs> He's got a body built for radio, folks. <laughs> that bourbon ain't helping. <laughs> so, but that's a, that's a very real thing for most athletes that you talk to yeah. is like, what does life look like when that's no longer a central focus for my life? So mm. when did you know that it was time to hang up the baseball cleats and move on? And then walk us through that process of like, how long did it take for you to find something that started to fill some of those gaps for you? Uh, good question. It's kind of a sad story. So I sat on my computer. I remember draft day was coming. I had talked to all, you know, probably 20 teams or so really closely with a few that I thought for sure we're going we're gonna to draft me. Did all the pre-draft stuff, all the crazy, some crazy weird tests that we can talk about on another maybe podcast that I did. <laughs> Very weird vision tests and reaction times, just some weird stuff that I, I had to do. But uh, it was interesting. I remember sitting down on my computer. The last, you know, twenty rounds aren't on TV for the MLB draft. And I just sat there and watched people that I knew that I was ranked above and all experts that I was going to go before and I just name after name after name after name. And I, it was like, it was like a death by a thousand oh, cuts, like dude, sitting there watching shot. it. Yeah. And my parent, I remember like, I, I didn't want to be around him. I just wanted to watch it by myself. I was like, just let me sit down here and let me just watch this. And so draft day ended, name didn't get called. And then about 30 minutes later, I get a call from the Orioles. They wanted me to come work out. They said, can you be in the Tri-Cities? Which if you know Washington, it's like three and a half hours away. They're like, yep. can you be in the Tri-Cities tomorrow morning? So I literally packed my stuff, hopped in the car, drove over the mountains and worked out with them for about four hours the next day. Didn't hardly sleep because I was excited, nervous, you know, fired up, long drive. I thought I did good. Like I ran a faster 60 time than they thought and all, all the things I thought I did good. Talked to the guy after a little bit. He's like, oh yeah, we'll call you. Nothing. And I think, you know, looking back, I wish I, I would have pursued things a little more myself, you know, gone and be more proactive and try to, you know, keep it going myself. And I didn't know. We had nobody in my family play pro sports before. I had nobody to really lean on that I knew I'd done it before. I didn't really know what I was doing. I was just kind of alone. You didn't have a blueprint. I didn't have the blueprint. I didn't have, I didn't have the path. And so I think had I done that, there would have been some hard years of grinding, grinding things out. I just believed in myself enough based on what I'd been through, which we can kind of get into later in my career. But I believed in myself enough that I thought I, I thought I could have made it. And I think I try to take that mentality into now, like whatever I do, whatever I jump into and dive into professionally, personally, I just have that same mindset. I, th- I think I can do it. I think I can make it. You know, I think that still kind of ate at me for some years. I, it was hard to watch baseball even for a while. Yeah, You kind of get to a point where you come to grips with it and you move on. But the competitiveness in me has never gone away. I think anything that I do professionally, personally, I still find ways to compete in almost everything. It's one of my main, you know, drivers for what's helped me get to where I've gotten in my career. That's great. So good. You know, would you say coming out of that, that put a little bit of a chip on your shoulder that you took with you into your professional career? Always. Yeah. And and some of those, you know, we can kind of get into them, but some of those same through lines, those experiences, what I went through, through that experience are there. I went through some very similar experiences in my professional career. And what got me through it is knowing I've gotten through it before. I know how to get through it. I know how to navigate it, put my head down, work hard and then good things will happen. Yeah. yeah one thing I was going to, if I can throw this in, mm-hmm. just totally enamored by, you know, your history. And I, of course I've heard it before, but for the listeners, you know, Alex just kind of <laughs> summarized 20 years over Two minutes, right? Right. Of, yeah, how's my timer? Are we doing it? Yeah, I know, right? No, we're, we're good. But if the listener, if you caught it, you had three or four significant deep 
very impactful resets. And I think that's really, really important to note. If I'm listening, Rob's listening, and for all the other people that are listening to the episode, is that when you think about and talk about going from playing baseball and not actually getting to experience the vision that you had, and then having to reset and start over, particularly in a, in a professional career. So now we've switched from sports to professional and, in, and market leader becoming a rep and cl- kind of climbing the ranks and having more impact and having more scale and having more responsibility. And then here comes uh, Trulia and then Trulia buys market leader. And they come to you and say, hey, we still want you, but you're back to smiling and dialing, so, so to yeah. speak, right? Yep. And so going from the top of the totem pole to the bottom of the totem pole from baseball to market leader and then climbing the ranks and being at the top of the totem pole for market leader and dropping to the bottom of the totem pole for Trulia. And then the exact same thing happened again when Zillow bought Trulia, yeah. right? So there's kind of been this like revolutions maybe every five to seven years-ish of you being told, hey, thanks, but you got to start over. You got to go back and you know do things differently and go back to the, the basics. And I, I wrote this down because I was like, Man, all of that is such a recipe for perfect excuses. It really is. Like, yeah. society would accept those reasons. It, it, like, if you told the story, they'd be like, oh, man, like, I would have left too, you know? And so the, the best analogy I could say is like, yeah, that, that's like a grenade with the pin pulled. <laughs> yep. Where you could yeah. just at any point go, you know what? Here, take it back and just blow, blow it all up, right? Yep. And over and over and over again from young age to the, the age you are now and just kind of, you know, experiencing that, that swath of life that's so critical in self-development, self-identity, understanding who you are, understanding what you're made of, understanding what you can withstand. You chose over and over and over to accept the challenge and receive it with a significant amount of humility and genuineness and not haughtiness or, you know, I deserve more or, I'm better than this, or I've already moved beyond this. So I'd love to hear, you know, even if it's a riff of two minutes of, how do you do that? What's the recipe for that? Because I even think about my own life and go, I don't know if I'm really good at that. <laughs> like, you know, when I get knocked down, it's like, mm. you know, I'm com- coming out of the gates, like all the excuses, all the things of, yeah. you know, but this is all just exterior of me. <clears throat> and you seem to have the ability of going, all right, so this is my new reality. Okay, so... How do I dominate this new reality? Yeah. And doing that four times over the course of like 15 years is like significant. Yeah. Yeah. Can I, as you answer that question, because that's such a good question and such a good observation. It's funny. I had the same thing written in my notes. You know, you and I have heard this a thousand times. There's two kinds of people in the world. The kind that finds a way and the kind that finds an excuse. Mm. And you got to decide which one you want to be. And you are a find a way kind of guy. You shared a story with us before we got on the air. Can you tell, can you tell that story you know, going into your senior year at Gonzaga. Yeah. And I think that story has a lot to do with answering this question. Yeah. 100%. And as he's telling this, I want you guys to pay special attention to some of the underlying principles that you hear as you're telling, because it's a cool story, but yeah. there's there's a lot underneath there. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I think it kind of ties into your question a little bit. So, you know, I came into Gonzaga, you know, I thought I was going to be the guy, you know, shortstop, second base, playing every day. I ended up playing my junior year in about 20 games. Didn't didn't play well. I had a bad year, got in my head. Everything kind of fell apart. Just played it played bad. I knew it. It was a tough year mentally, physically. I came back for my end of the season meeting with my coaches and pretty much got told, hey, we got a full ride guy coming in. You can either transfer or you could stay and you're not going to play next year. Mm-hmm. Just want to tell you that up front. And so I'm going into the end of the season with that in my head. Like, what the hell am I going to do next year? Yeah. Talk, talk about um, baggage. Meanwhile, I have this aspiration of playing pro baseball. I'm like, that dream's done. It's over. It's yeah. shot. I think a lot of it stems from like my childhood, being having two older brothers, being competitive, like having to fight for everything that I got with them. Like my parents worked a ton. Like my brothers were there for everything. We competed over everything. And I was the smallest. I think a lot of it's ingrained in me of like, just work harder than them. If you want to beat them, you got to work harder than them. So like a lot of those things played in. So I went into that summer for anybody listening that has played college baseball knows. So at the end of the season, when you play D1, you go out to a summer league, like a travel league. It's to like emulate the minor leagues uh, essentially. And so, you know, played in a travel league, kind of went in with the mindset of screw that. I'm going to be the guy. 
next year. And this is kind of the mindset I've always had is you tell me no, I'm going to figure out a way to get a yes out of that. I went in and you know, the old mantra of like first guy in, last guy out was how I always was, but I kind of took it to the extreme that summer. Like I was there three hours before anybody in the morning. I'd have coaches hitting in ground balls to me. They were hitting in the cage with me. I mean, I would get a full game's work before we got to the pregame every day for three months. Mm. I got better. Like I, I got better in all the areas that I needed to get better in. I ended up having an outstanding summer, like best college baseball players in, in the nation in this league. And I got MVP of the whole league. Hit 400, like did everything like that I wanted to do. Put it all together. But I wouldn't have done it if I didn't put the work in. So it was an outcome of me realizing that I had to work harder. You know, it was, it was a different level of competition. I was falling behind. I needed to, I needed to do all these things to get better. And I, I could have, you know, folded and said, I decided I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to do it, but I'm going to work hard to get there. And came back my senior year and I started every game, got first team all league and which almost, you know, almost led to me playing pros, which would have been my dream, but it just didn't work out. But that same mantra, that mindset is what I've used in my career. Mm-hmm. So all these career resets, I've had the same mindset of, okay, yeah, that sucks. You know, I'll spend a few minutes and feel bad about myself and get over it. And then what's next? Okay, how am I going to get to the next step? How am I going to get there? What do I need to get better in? Like, how do I make myself the easy choice when a great opportunity comes up because of the work that I put in to get there? So that's just kind of the mindset that I, I always had going through to this day. You know, I think I'm going to face more challenges. I'm going to face more adversity, like probably worse than stuff that I've already faced. Mm-hmm. But it's how you respond to that adversity and how you, what you do about it, which is which what shows your character. Yeah, we, we so talk a lot about these dig deep moments, which is the kind of stuff that you're talking about. And I think this is really where you see grit, you know, mental toughness. Mm-hmm. And that, that's a word that you mentioned earlier. That's a word we've talked about on this podcast a lot. That's, that's a quality that we interview hard yeah. for in a really direct way. And you definitely have that. And whenever I see somebody who has that, the curiosity in me always wants to know, like, why? Were you able to identify why you didn't buy into what those coaches were telling you? Because it would have been so easy to just take that at face value. What is the thing that keeps you going to push through adversity, to put in the hard work, to be unreasonable when you have every reason and every right to not step up to the challenge and instead pivot into something else? Great question. And I think that ties so much into business too, at the same time. I was a really good athlete. You know, I, I thought I had it all together. I thought I knew better than everybody, you know, and I thought I, it's gotten me here. Like why change? You know, do I need to listen to people and be coached and adapt and do the things that they're telling me to do? And, you know, I did some, but like truly I, I didn't lean in all the way because I thought I, it got me here and they recruited me. Like there was a reason for that, but truly, you know, deep down, like I wasn't doing all the things they were asking me to do. Like I wasn't, I wasn't making the changes necessary. I wasn't necessarily working as hard as I, I could have worked. Yeah. And so like, that's what coaches are for. When you think about at the end of the day, you know, when I think of great leadership and qualities that really translate into what great teams look like, because we had a, in my senior year, you know, we were top 10 in the nation. Like we were a great team. The difference is, is we had so much buy-in from the top down and I adjusted my mindset and so did many others to just leaning in to what the organization was trying to do and trusting the process. Like you hear that like term thrown around a lot and it sounds cliche, but it's, it works. You know, if you trust in the process and everybody buys into a mutual goal together, you know, you're not on an island, you're all beating the same drum. That's when magic happens. And I think you take that individually too. Like when you have people supporting you in your career and you have help and you have coaches and trainers and this and that. And, you know, if you feel like, I'm good. Like I, I know how to do it. I've done well in the past and you're not adaptable and, and able to kind of identify gaps and opportunities and do something about them. You're probably not going to be where you want to be next year because you didn't adapt. Like, like your coaches and, and trainers and people around you were trying to get you to adapt to you. So that was a big thing for me, a big takeaway for me. You had this really strong self-belief. You had this good self-image and it's almost like, it seems like when people doubt that, and maybe bring that into question, that brings out the best in you. Yeah, 
I think it stems from being the youngest of two brothers and, you know, <laughs> always getting beat up on and always, I was the smallest, like my, one of my brother, I mean, I'm, I'm like five, nine, you know, like to say five eleven, but I'm five, nine. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, both my brothers are bigger, you know, bigger than me, taller than me, you know, as a little kid, as a five-year-old to like get what I wanted. Like they always told me I couldn't do it. So I was like, I can do it. I'm going to uh, do so it better this, than you. This was a pattern that you formed really early on. Yeah. Yep. It seems like this is this is something that I've kind of noticed among a lot of top performers through a long period of time. I, when I say top performer, I don't mean you know over the course of a year, which is is still impressive even in real estate. Of course, when you have a great year, but when you have multiple years, right, like over a long you know career, like a decade or half a decade or something like that, it's huge. I've seen this and I've kind of noticed this. Maybe identified with this. It's the thought of I want to be known. Like I want, I want the world to interact with me. I want to be known as the type of person that, and then you fill in the blank, mm -hmm. right? And it, it's almost like I need to be known. I want to be known in this world, you know, and in this big, vast world. Uh, my contribution matters, and and we all want that, you know, at a certain level. Not to get too therapeutic, but we all, I think, we all want to know yeah. that our existence mattered. Mm -hmm. And so I want to be known as the type of person that, and then it's left to us individually really to fill in the blank the type of person that what that shows up that goes the extra mile that engages that is humble that is able to take the the, the bad news that yeah sorry you know you're starting over again and again and again and again and building the identity of yeah that that's my identity in this world and then it's an example for other people to be able to say you, you said you said earlier i wrote it down wasn't wasn't the tallest wasn't the biggest wasn't the fastest and so you can fill in the blanks with anything. I'm not the prettiest. I'm not the smartest. Mm -hmm. I'm not the wittiest. I'm not the quickest. You know, whatever it is, right? Yep. You change out those words with anything. And we all know what we're not. <laughs> we don't need to be told what we're not. I think we all intuitively know yeah. quite, quite clearly what we're not. And then, and then comes the idea of, but, uh, but I want to be known as the type of person that fill in the blank. Yeah. And, and it sounds like for you, it's like, I want to be known as the type of person that Never gives up, always goes the extra mile, is full of stick to and grit, regardless of the outcome. Maybe it works out, maybe I go pro, maybe I don't. But that's irrelevant. I want to be known as the type of person that looks back and goes, there really wasn't anything else I could do. Yeah. I think what stands out too from that, that statement is, I think a lot of people know what they want to be known for, mm. like deep down, and they could probably vocalize it and say it. But... Could they really look in the mirror? And, you know, I've even had these, we all have these moments where we, we're not going to be able to do that. Yeah, you know? 100%. But there's also that, that trigger, like the people that are really successful in life and in business and whatever, whatever it is, they do things and then they take action to make that a reality. Mm. Like that is the difference, I think. When, when you look at really successful people in whatever it is, it doesn't have to be financially. It could be... They're extremely happy because they do X, Y, and Z. Yeah. But they do the thing. They they actually take the action to mm. do it and they do it consistently. Like that's that's what drives, that's what actually makes it happen. It doesn't even, just even happen. Even when it's uncomfortable. Even when it's hard, even on the crappy days, whatever. Expensive. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That they actually do something about it. Yeah. It sounds, you know, again, it's kind of cliche, but it that's the truth. That's the reality. Yeah. So good. When you were talking about that story from the off season, I wrote down a couple of things. And if we pivot that then into, I think where the rubber really hits the road here is how did you take some of those qualities, principles, mindset characteristics, I guess, if we call them, how did you take those and then apply those to success in business after that? And you've certainly had a lot of success. And, and so talk about these things where I heard you say things like, I'm just going to work harder than everyone else. I also heard you say indirectly, you weren't going to buy into other people's limiting beliefs that they were trying to put on you. I also heard you talk about, it wasn't just that you showed up early and stayed late. You got help from your coaches, right? And you talked about the power of coaching, which I think is incredible. And then you talked about mental toughness, but in the context of knowing what you want and then being willing to go put in the work to do it. And I think it's not enough to have a great work ethic, but you have to know why you're doing the things you're doing. And, and that's really the definition of grit, right? Is passion plus perseverance. Like you got to have both of those things. You got to know why it's worth persevering through some of the adversity. So talk about those principles that you learned in baseball 
but then how you took those and then applied those to first individual success. But then also you've had an incredibly unique position where over the course of your career, you got to work with some of the best teams in the entire country in real estate. And you also got to work with a lot of very underwhelming, underperforming teams, right? And so you got sort of this peek behind the curtain. Which is all of them in Denver, (laughs) except for Thrive. Uh, That's why I'm here. So you got this peek behind the curtain of, of this massive sample size of what makes the best teams and individuals successful, as well as why do the underperforming ones underperform? So talk a little bit about that from like your own personal experience. And then if you can shift that into what did you see across an entire industry and what did you learn from that? Yeah, it's good. Uh, I'll try to unpack that. That's a big, uh, that's, that's a, a lot. That's a long question, but uh, yes, I got it. I'll, See, I I'll ask, do my best. I ask long questions so I can question, just sit though. back and drink bourbon while you talk. <laughs> smart, smart. I, I might need a refill. Let's do this. You know, I think the, the things I learned as an individual that helped me be a better leader and a, and a better person and the, you know, the qualities that I think I've been able to directly contribute to businesses that I've been a part of. You know, I think for me, it sounds, again, cliche, it's January, it's the month of goal setting, but like goal setting, like what do you want? And like really defining what that is, you know, like how much easier is it to wake up in the morning when you know what you're doing that day? Like as dumb as that sounds, like how much more excited to wake up in the morning are you when you know exactly what you're doing most of the day? Mm. Like you're not bored, you're not scrolling on your phone, but have a goal in mind for what you want to do, what you want to accomplish. And I think spread that, right? Like whatever, whatever organization you're in, if it's a sports team, you know, usually that starts at the top with the head coach, but it doesn't always have to. It could start from within. You know, I've been on teams where, you know, the head coach is a great coach, but he's just a great hitting coach, mm. you know, and the, the inspiration and the goal comes from within the team and you get mutual buy-in around that. So, you know, having a goal is, is a huge starting point. It's really the easiest starting point. Like, what do you want to accomplish? That's big. I think being able to deal with adversity is another one. Like, it's easy when everything's going good for everybody. But how do you deal with adversity? So being able to like deal with adversity and work through that is big. I think accountability is the other one. I talk a ton about that here at Thrive. Anybody at Thrive listening, you know, I know, I know, I'm I'm sorry we talk about it a lot, but it's it's huge. It's so huge. Like, and if you have people and a team and a, and partners in in it with you, like how much more fun is it when yeah. you get to accomplish your goal and you did it together? You said something at the beginning that I that I wrote down that was awesome. It was, it was off the air, but you were talking about the difference when everyone is accountable, because accountability gets kind of a little, a little bit of a bad rap. Like yeah. if, we're, if we're honest, right? It feels like. TPS reports. Yeah. You know, it feels yeah. a little bit like, you know, someone's looking over your shoulder, micromanagement, all the negative things that come along with accountability. We heard a great quote the other day about accountability. It was the equation for accountability is visibility plus discipline equals accountability. That, mm-hmm. That's really what it is. But you said at, at the beginning of the podcast, when we were getting ready to get on the air, you said everything changes when it becomes teammate accountability. Which is like the magic, I, yeah. th- I think. I was yeah. never I was never really big into sports, like ever. Yeah. S- still aren't. Go Bulldogs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still trying to figure out, is it a goal or is it a basket? I don't, like, I don't, I'm not really sure. But, but I do know that when teammates, no matter what the team is, start to hold each other accountable. Yeah. I think that's what you're talking about in terms of like the empirical accountability when a team achieves something that it couldn't otherwise. Yeah. When the team members, not the coaches, not the quote quote bosses, not the franchise owner, not anyone else other than the team members themselves start to hold each other accountable. And it's not finger wagging. I mean, sometimes it could be, but it's more, it sounds like it's more like fundamentally supportive, encouraging, and calling the best out in people and being able to say, hey, you're not performing to the level that I believe you can perform. Yeah not the level that you believe you can perform because frankly, I think you can probably do better than you think you can do. And when teammates start to do that, is that when the magic happens? Yeah. Is that when the sparks start to fly? I think it's a combination of both. Okay. I think it's, it's twofold because if you do that with somebody that isn't that motivated, you know, to do it themselves, they have you know, no goals, they're not motivated. Yeah. 
Right. It doesn't necessarily land. Doesn't, doesn't yeah. fit. So I think a lot of it too is ingrained with yourself, your own, you have some internal motivators, yeah. whatever that may be. And like, if it's sports, like, yeah, you're, if you're on the team, especially if you're playing in college, you want to either get drafted, you want to play in the pros, you want to win a championship, whatever it is. Like you have your own goal personally, mm-hmm. but that ties into the team goal of when you do those things, like the team collectively is going to, going to be better. Right. And if, and if each individual has their goals, they don't have to all be the same, but they can roll up to a collective team collaborative like goal, yeah. essentially, right? And you know, I think when when you have mutual buy-in across the board and everybody has goals and everybody's you know motivated and excited, it's what brings people together. Yeah. You know, and then it's easier to hold somebody accountable, like mutual accountability, when they're not working hard enough to hit their own personal goals, mm-hmm. even. I think you can motivate somebody that you know they can do better. But I'm a firm believer that the internal motivator is the ultimate decision maker. It's huge. Like that's going to decide. Yeah. You know, you'll get the people that'll go to a personal trainer for a couple of weeks and that person will motivate them to work out. Yep. But it's pretty easy to just not show up and that personal trainer will call you a couple of times, but Mm -hmm. then they'll stop. Right. So I think so much of it has to come from within. Yeah. You know, and if you don't have that, I can only pull you so far. Yeah, I can't pull you anymore. And so I think you have to get a culture where that is ingrained. You're working with them. You're 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 motivating them, which can help somebody get goals. Yeah, I'm a firm believer that like internal motivation is is a key driver. And then your teammates and your people around you enhance that. Right? Mm-hmm. They amplify celebrate. It. They amplify it. Yeah, like they're the people that are gonna help you go even further. Yeah, in that goal, further than what you would have. Yeah, the very first thing you said was you got to know where you're going. Like, you got to know what's the life that I'm trying to achieve. This quote popped into my head, so I had to pull it up online because I I wanted to make sure I got it right. I don't even know who said it. But the quote is, which I think pertains to what you were talking about, just in terms of like, what do you want? That's what you said. Like, what what do you want? The quote is, it's a question. What will you do with your one wild and precious life? Because that's all we all have is one, one. We don't get two, we don't get three, we don't get a second chance, you know? What will you do with your one wild and precious life? And what's funny is like, I, I think, you know, a lot of people, maybe some of the listeners are going, I can't ponder that quote too long because if I do, I'll quit real estate because that's not really what I'm, you know, ultimately designed to do. And we're here to say, we don't give a shit about real estate. <laughs> like, it, does, it doesn't matter. Like, this is just the context in which we get to play the game. Yeah. It could yep. be baseball. It could be real estate. It could be dance. It could be coffee shop. It could be whatever. It doesn't matter, Right. I think that quote beckons and calls us into answering your question of what are you going to do? Yep. Yeah. Right. And and the quote, of course, what are you going to do with your one wild and precious life is not career driven. It's not, oh, do I go into real estate or do I go into tech sales or do I go into XYZ, you know, whatever. Those are details. Yeah. It doesn't, doesn't matter. Right. What we're talking about really ultimately is how are you going to show up? What do you want to be known for both internally, which is I think what you're saying is like, that's where it all starts is internally. And then what do you want to be known for externally? What contribution do you want to make to the world? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's great. So good. I love that. Um, I love that your first one was goal setting because the rest of these start to fall apart if somebody doesn't really know what they want. Yeah. I mean, it's a good time to talk about it. It's January. 100%. So it's, the, totally. it's the month of goal setting. Because you talked about goal setting. You yeah. talked about being able to overcome adversity. And then you talked about accountability, particularly, you know, mutual accountability. Where else were you going with that? I was going to tie it into into the real estate vertical. You know, that's been my world, you know, the the tech space and the real estate vertical. It translates, you know, I think in the best teams that I've worked with, you know, I've I've worked at Zillow for 10 years and I got the, you know, was fortunate to get to work with some of the best teams nationally. And what they did is all those things. They had they recruited, like the people recruiting were accountable to bring on top talent. If you're coming on board, like you know, you're going to be accountable to uphold your end of the bargain and convert and drive business, you know, show up to team meetings, do the, the, the little things, the culture, culture contributors. Yeah. Culture contributors, like yeah. be a part of the business. Like we're investing in you. You know, they had great org structures. They ran it like a business. You'd be very surprised, maybe not, but at the amount of even like productive real estate teams in the country that aren't run like an organization, you know, they're, they're run very different. They're turn and burn. They, don't invest in their people. They're bad leaders. They were great agents, but horrible leaders, which yeah. I'm sure you see a ton of. Rob Rob likes to say, 
you're either running your business like a business or you're running it like a hot dog. Stand. <laughs> it's true. It's very true. Which is it? It's very true. Well, but we've, uh, we've seen that all over the place, right? Where oh, oftentimes yeah. the, the very best, most elite individual performers oftentimes don't make the best coaches. Yeah, 100%. Right? It's usually totally. the best coaches are the people who, as individual performers, they were good, maybe even above average, maybe even elite, but they had to work really hard to get where they were and they were rarely ever the best yeah. Yeah. as a player. Yep. We should do another episode on conscious competency. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. that's a whole other thing. It's amazing. Yeah. But yeah, I think that's that's the qualities. You have buy-in is huge. So you have leadership top-down. You have buy-in, great org structure, support for your people, culture. You have accountability and you have mutual accountability too. Mm. Those are the biggies. You know, it's like, it's not rocket science, you know? And I think to, you know, all the, the thrivers or the realtors listening out there, like so much of like 2024 success and beyond. And if you've been successful to date, like so much of it comes down to a lot of what we've talked about today is like, are you setting your goals? Like, are you holding yourself accountable? And are you allowing your people around you to amplify that mm-hmm. and help you be better? That's, that's a huge key. Yeah. If you're going to take this and you were going to turn this into some like practical application action steps that people could take following up on this. Some of the people that are listening are in a phase of their career where they're an individual contributor, they're an individual producer. Some people are listening, they're, they're in various phases of their leadership journey. Some people that are listening, you know, might be running fairly large organizations. What are some of the practical takeaways from the stuff that we've talked about today? If you were to give them some unsolicited advice, what can they take that you talked about and put into action? What does that actually look like in your real estate business tomorrow? You know, I don't think it's going to be earth shattering. I want it to be, and I'm going to say this probably for all of Q1 to within our business. What is your goal? What is your annual goal? Okay, let's work it. Let's work it backwards. What's your quarterly goal? What's your weekly goal? What's your monthly goal? What, what are you going to do every day? Right. If you don't know, write some things down, brainstorm a little bit, but then also ask for support. Like that's where support comes in. If you need some guidance, some help, support. If you're newer in, into the business, you got to have a goal. You got to know what you want. If you don't have that, you're just going through the motions in whatever business you're in. Mm-hmm. So you have to know what you want to do and what you want to and what you want to accomplish. By the way, um, I heard a quote the other day. If you don't know what you want, the world will tell you and it'll be wrong. A thousand percent. I mean, it's, it's like, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like you, you either determine what you want and you, and you proclaim it and you grasp it and you, you say, I'm, I'm going after this and this is, this is the deal. Yeah. If you don't, the world will help you in a way that you don't want. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Every time. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be a huge goal, right? It doesn't have to be enormous and it doesn't have to be always business. It could be a life goal. Yeah. Right. And like, okay, but to to get there, you got to do some things on the business side, right? Yep. So having a goal and then I know everyone's going to be tired of me saying, I've said it a lot today, but like, you got to be accountable. You have to be accountable to doing the things and to tie it back to like some of the things I talked about today. Like if I didn't Going into my senior year, if I didn't hold myself accountable to show up early, stay late, work hard, do all the things I needed to do, I wouldn't have had the success that I had. It wouldn't have happened. That's the case with anybody that's done well in one facet of their life, your business or, or personal. You have to be accountable to doing the things that you say you're going to do. And then the last thing is, is consistency. You got to be consistent. You know, you can't do it when you feel good. It's really easy to do stuff when you feel good. <laughs> but when you feel like crap, like again, it's kind of cliche, but when you feel like crap, what, what can you do? do? Do what you can do to hold yourself accountable for that day, that week, that month, whatever it is. I think those are the big three for me. Have a goal, stay consistent, and be accountable. So good. Very cool. And then if I'm somebody listening to this and I'm like, what does being accountable actually look like? What are you, what are you picturing with that? Yeah, I'll be... Kind of tactful, I think. Nah, if you don't, don't be tactful. This is the real better life. <laughs> if we, you're if you're in real estate, we don't have any f bombs yet. So if if you're in real estate, going. you know, I think like what are your daily activities? Like literally mundane. Like what are your daily activities? What are you doing? Are you time blocking in the morning to do your client outreach? Are you go. being creative and and being thoughtful with how you reach out to your clients, or are you just signing them up for your MLS search and letting it just drip into their email? What, which one are you doing? There's two paths. And I'm sure you guys have all worked for realtors or worked with realtors that have done one of the two. Which one did you work with? Yeah. Yep. Like be intentional, be thoughtful. Like that's what people want. And do it daily. Do it every day. And if you do that stuff every day, all of a sudden, the three or four additional outreaches that you did 
stirs up one or two more conversations, stirs up one more showing, stirs up one more client that you got to close. Mm-hmm. Like those are the things, the little things that make the difference between hitting your goal at the end of the year and falling short. When you go back to any of these times you've referenced, when you go back to that off season before your senior year where you just worked your ass off, or you think back to the times when you were making these shifts from market leader to Trulia, Trulia to Zillow, Zillow to now, you've talked about two different things. You've talked about being accountable to yourself, but you've also talked about mutual accountability. When you think back to those times, what does it look like to go find an accountability partner within whatever organization or team you happen to be a part of? Like, what would be your advice to somebody? One thing I'll also add is, is dig into your craft, like learn more about your craft. Mm. I love that. I think that is huge. Craft, you know, ma- craft masters. Cra- yeah, yeah. <laughs> Got to become a craft master. You have to. And it's always changing too, which is great. Like that's, that means you can always learn new stuff. Mm-hmm. For me personally, it was always see what the best people were doing. Mm. Like it was always that for me. Which it, takes a little bit of curiosity, right? Which takes a little bit of humility. Yeah. Not, not to interrupt, but it does. Like to, to be genuinely, authentically show up and go, I don't have it all figured out. I don't know all the ins and outs. There's people that know more than I do. Uh, you know, even for the top performers that thrive, they're curious. And that's why they're top performers is because they're, they're genuinely authentically curious where they go, I bet I could increase my expertise. I bet I could drive deeper into being a craft master. Yeah. It's just that relentless pursuit of excellence, the relentless pursuit of growth, the relentless pursuit of that mindset yep. is, is what makes them who they are. Because at the end of the day too, if you do that, you're going to be better, but you're also going to provide better service to your clients. Yeah. And that's in any facet of business. Huge. So, and that's how you win at the end of the day. Whatever vertical you're in, if you're doing better service to your clients than anybody else is, you're going to win the business. That's good. All right. Well, as we wrap up, any closing thoughts, anything that we didn't talk about that you want to share before we hop off here? What's your favorite bourbon? (laughs) Well, we already know Blue Stallion. Blue Stallion. <laughs> no no question. That's no, right no, this, is, uh, this, is, this has been great. You know, January is a good time for this one. It's very fitting. I don't love January because it's the easy time to set goals. Like <laughs> I would love people to, you know, like come June, like who's still got their goal. Yeah. yeah. That's when it's really, that's when it's real. So challenge everybody, like check back in June. Make sure you still have that goal in mind. You know what it is. You have it written down somewhere, whatever it is. Those people that do that are going to be the ones that, are going to be winning in 2024. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I'm sitting here listening and every time we have anybody on the podcast and any t- really anytime even you and I are doing just, just an episode, Rob, I learned so much. I learned so much from you. I learned so much from you, Alex. I learned so much from people that, that have been on in the past. It's like, I got like a whole page of notes, literally. <laughs> I'm, sh- I'm, I'm literally holding it up to, have, to Rob and Alex yeah, right now. I have, I have three. And I'm like, I got to go stew on this. I got to like <laughs> unpack this. I got to think about it. You know, I got to call Alex and go, what do you mean by that? And how does that work? Because uh, I'm curious. I'm genuinely curious. But I think that one takeaway that I had, the big one, you know, that I'm probably going to fall asleep thinking about tonight. And this has just synthesized everything for me anyway. And that is, there is no strategic confusion with grit. You know what I mean? Like sometimes we can overcomplicate things to where we don't do anything. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. that, 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 it's easy, yeah. To shout out to Ben Kenny, you know, sometimes we overcomplicate things to justify our inaction. When you think about grit and just, you know, your baseball career and changing into your, your career at Market Leader and then changing into Trulia and then changing into Zillow, I'm sure you didn't sit down and go, let me strategize this. This is how I'm going <laughs> to do the next 20 years of my life, right? But the one thing that, was consistent and got you through is grit. And, and so sometimes we can, we get so caught up in our heads about like, how do I set goals and what's the right goal and what are the metrics and how, what's the inputs and what do I have to do in order to achieve the goal? And what about if interest rates do this? And what about if the supply does that? And what about Denver and, or my MSA, I'm in New York, what about that? And we, we have no MLS and on and on and on and on and on and on and on. And sometimes we can just get so spun up with strategy. Yeah. And, at the, end, and at the end of the day, you look at the successful people, you being one, and you go, yeah, you know what? Like all that strategy goes away. There is no strategic confusion with grit. Yeah. Well, as you were saying that, I'm like, you're literally, as I'm listening to you say that, I know you're just, you're just throwing examples out there, but I'm like, you're killing the passion. Like you can almost just strategize the passion to death. Totally. Right. Good. So here's actually, here's a- Strangle it. Here's a perfect question I want to land on is, as you say that, you made me think of something, right? Is- it strikes me that one of my big takeaways from today is you've always been very clear at various points in your life. When you encountered adversity, you knew what you wanted and then you put in the action to go 
make it happen, which at times is very humbling. And so I look at where we are right now. And like you said, we never know what sort of adversity is waiting around the corner for us, but just sitting where you are right now, what's next for you and what are you most passionate about pursuing at this phase that you're in right mm-hmm. now? It's a really good question. Yeah, I think for me, there's a, there's a couple of things. I'm, I'm really passionate about helping others achieve their goals. Mm-hmm. Like for me, that's what wakes me up in the morning. That's what keeps me up at night is not only, you know, others, but I think about, you know, our business and helping us hit our goals and, and that boils down to each individual. That's the exciting thing for me because it's so fun to celebrate when that happens. You know, when, when that magic happens and so good. people put in the work and they do it and you helped them and you supported them and you were their confident. Like, that's the best. That's the best when you get to celebrate with your teammates, you know? Like, that's what I think think about. That's fun for me. You know, and then the other aspect is, you know, for me, like, I'm, I like to be a strategic thinker and I boil that down to individuals, you know, be strategic about how I help them. Like, you think about help leverage, you know, creativity and help them brainstorm and come up with new ideas to be be successful and find ways to get to their goals. And then I think about that from a business standpoint, like what can we be doing? What can, how can we do more things that thrive to, to be more efficient and drive, drive more business and, you know, be more strategic about some of the initiatives that, you know, so for me, like those are the two things that I would say, you know, if I were to boil everything down to two, that would be it, you know, helping people achieve their goals and then, you know, being a strategic thinker and, and helping the business get better. Good stuff. Well, so I know. Good. We would both agree one of the reasons we were so excited to work with you is because you were the least corporate person we knew at Zillow, first and foremost. (laughs) Debatable. (laughs) Secondly, it's been easy to tell when we knew you at Zillow, but also as we've gotten to know you in a a different capacity and gotten to know you better after you left Zillow, it's really obvious that you work your ass off to be a person of impact, Mm. right? And that's really meaningful to us. And I think that's why this is such a good partnership. And man, I'm unbelievably grateful that we get to work with you. And then really grateful that we got to spend, you know, close to an hour in the podcast studio. Yeah, just look, 58 minutes. Wow. We did, we did good. Yeah. We've got one minute. We can just riff on whatever. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm running low over here. We got to refill. (laughs) Oh, so good. Thanks, man. Thanks for being here. Thanks for uh, sharing some insights and a little bit of yourself, right? Because Sometimes it's hard to to know sixty people and growing here, here at Thrive, mm-hmm. and then of course you know this whole podcast is really meant to of course engage our own community and our own family here, but also elevate, engage, and and amplify and and improve just the industry in general. And so hopefully there's people all the way across the nation that are listening to this that got something out of it. Yeah, and knowing that that's a possibility is, it helps me sleep really soundly. I, I love that. <laughs> yeah, that's good stuff. Yeah. I love it. Thanks for having me on. It's been awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Cheers, Jens. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.